0: You know, maybe the one thing that's missing in all of the catechism or in all of the teaching or lectures or whatever the kids go through, maybe the one thing they just never see is actual human beings living the stuff out. And so to me, it it just it it brings back the movemental question. Um, Mm. If our family were to be a part of the movement, then they've got to see mom and dad doing this.
1: Welcome to In the Room with Communitas North America. It's a time when we invite you to enter our world for a brief conversation and hear more about what we are passionate about as a missional and microchurch network. We also hope that these conversations will inspire you to think about new ways of being the church in North America. I am Leon Longard, the team lead for Communitas North America. My co-host in these conversations is James Kola. So grab yourself a favorite beverage, have a seat, and join us around the table. Hello, welcome to Communitas North America and a little different show today. Um, James is not with me co-hosting. I am Leon Longard um, and Bethany Labou, who has been with us as a guest on a couple of different occasions is co-hosting for this conversation. Uh, We are here. every other tuesday night basically we want to invite you into the world of what's important to us as uh, communitas north america as a missional church movement and also um just spark conversation around new ways of thinking about mission in the church and we started a series two weeks ago talking about discipleship uh today we have hugh halter with us uh, one of the pioneers of missional church movements in north america and um, author has written a book recently called "Righteous Brood," uh, talking about being a family on mission. We're focusing today on um, on including your family, your whole family in mission, particularly your children and discipling your children. And that's why, particularly um, Bethany and I, as parents, thought this would be a good way for us to be the interviewers and questions. We've both read through the book. I loved it. It was very inspiring um i actually read it on a trip i was at both directions i finished it and it kind of just helped for myself embedding in a new community it helped kind of reinvigorate my vision for thinking about how do we our family as we've moved into this new house how do we engage in god's mission um, in our community um, where we are now and so we're going to just get going hugh welcome uh, Bethany, you'll start out with the first question, and we'll kind of just move from there.
0: All right, good to be
1: here with you guys.
2: Yeah, glad you're here, Hugh. I'm curious, what inspired the writing of this book?
0: Yeah, well, we uh, we probably 10 years ago, um, we we launched four chapters of it over at Exponential. At, at uh, some people may not know, but it's the largest church planting conference in the world, and they were looking for you know quick kind of ebooks so people could read so i started to write it then and then uh, when that was over we just got busy back doing life again a lot of people know our story from the tangible kingdom book which were the, the 15 years in denver and so that was kind of in full swing um and then our our you know many people that read our stuff know that a lot of the way that we kind of picked up the missionary way of life or kind of the focus on missional community type stuff that really happened because our son ryan had severe epilepsy and And uh, so probably in his mid-20s, he wasn't supposed to have lived past five or six Mm mid-20s we about an assisted living center in this little town called Alton, Illinois. And we ended up uh, shipping him out here because he wanted to be with folks that have the same struggle. And and then Cheryl and I would just kind of fly out here and, and visit him four or five times a year. And slowly over time, you know, we just started to be intrigued by the city and, uh, one day, my wife just said, why don't we just sell the, the ranch in Colorado and move out here and see if we can do something for the town? So it became a, you know, initially it was a conversation that Cheryl and I had, but we brought my my daughters in who were, Allie had just gotten married, mid-20s. My other uh, daughter, about a year and a half behind her, engaged. And we just had a, a big family talk. And I said, yeah, your mother would like to leave Denver and move to this cruddy little town. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I said it's not about Ryan we know Ryan will probably not live very long it's really about doing something in, in this town and uh, and the conversation went a, r- a different direction than I thought the the girls both were talking about wanting to go with us and then mm-hmm. the new son-in-laws were going, yeah let's like let's all do this together and that's what happened long story short is, we all came out here as a family and um within about six months a gentleman gave me a, a big federal post office in the middle of downtown and just said i think you'll know what to do to help help our town and so that became kind of a family mission but the actual like launching of the book happened uh, when my daughter mckenna passed me in the car one day because i bought my uh, my oldest daughter a crack house for twelve thousand dollars this really rough corner and We made that and bought McKenna a house about four blocks away. And then we were right in the middle of them. So our whole family was right in the middle of downtown. So we would see them every day. And and, uh, on this one occasion, McKenna came by. We were were just talking as she was uh, driving back to her house. And when she drove away, I just remember kind of sitting there going, holy cow. How did, number one, how did we get to this town? And it's amazing that my adult children wanted to be with us on a particular mission it's almost like yes. a third church plant type of thing so i started to kind of dig through stuff and um, realized that my two daughters were some of the best missionaries i knew now, honestly we've been coaching church planters all over the world i, I was thought i can send these two anywhere they would know exactly mm-hmm. what to do and uh so i just thought you know now that the kids were adults um many of the years that sharon and i were planting you know our kids never got to go to an age-appropriate Bible study or youth group. And we always wondered, would our kids turn out okay? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's when I went, no, I think we, we, we won the argument, at least for us. Like our kids were fully committed to Jesus and his mission. They were all into really working with the hardest needs, issues of poverty and violence. It was like no big deal for them. And And uh, so I thought maybe we have something to say there. Maybe there's some things we picked up along the missionary road that would be helpful. I really I didn't kind of write it for the traditional just go to church families. I figured it would be too hard for them. Um, I wrote it more for like a communitas or a forge or all the people that were actually trying to engage their neighborhood with mission. I thought it's probably going to be more appropriate for them. And I think they'll get it more. Um, if we kind of go for the jugular on, on what it really means to disciple missionaries instead of just discipling kids, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's no, why.
2: Good th- that. Thank you for that. It's really, it showed up in the reading mm-hmm. that there was a, a difference between, are we just trying to make more church goers or are we trying to make people that have this bigger vision of what God's doing and what he's inviting us to be a part of? hmm So my next question kind of goes along those same lines of um, you talk about casting a bigger picture or sharing the God's bigger story. And I'm curious just to hear in your own words, how do you describe that? How do you cast that to the different ages? So like, let's say five years old versus 13 years old versus maybe you're 20 some year old.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the biggest part of the book is to like we said, to build a story that would hold not only the attention of your kids, but would inspire them to want to replicate it. That's if you think about what discipleship actually is, it would would be, you know, we say thought leadership is where you read a book and you go, it's an interesting concept, but generally you don't get moved to change until you see it in action. A lot of pastors come by and see what we're doing here locally. And they say, yeah, I've been reading about this stuff for years, but just seeing it, it's like now I can see it for my own context back in New York city or wherever they live, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: You think about the gospel and it being a worldwide movement, many times it went around the world, you know, we get crushed for a while and then it would reappear and it'd be all over. And you go, well, how does, how do the, how does the movement of Jesus happen? Um, And I would contend that it primarily happens through the story that people see. And obviously proclamation is a key part of gospel living. But in our, in our family, it was always describing uh, what people were seeing. The people, A lot of people would come to us and go, hey, can we talk next week? We just noticed some things about your family, and we would like to talk it through. So I just started to notice even evangelism was based on people coming to us and asking us to give a, you know, as the scriptures say, to give an answer for what mm-hmm. they know. Mm-hmm. So, to me, the best thing you can do as a parent, if you really want your children to follow Jesus, is... You know, I don't even know if you have to talk that much at all. You just have to live something that makes total sense to them, that they can participate in. You know, I think the um, the experiment of the American sort of church growth model where you drop your kids off from fetus all the way through divorce recovery and everybody stays in their own little thing. And then you meet back up in the minivan. I think. That is just, you know, and even scientifically, mathematically, sociologically, that's a lost experiment. Our kids are leaving the Protestant churches as fast as they leave the Catholic churches. And so there must not be there. Obviously, they're learning thousands of things about God, but they're not continuing or desiring to follow him later. So I go, you know, maybe the one thing that's missing in all of the catechism or in all of the teaching or lectures or whatever the kids go through Maybe the one thing they just never see is actual human beings living the stuff out, and so to me, it it just it it brings back the movemental question: Um, Mm. if our family were to be a part of the movement, then they've got to see mom and dad doing this. I know you guys have probably noticed sometimes, uh, even on my bio, I'll say Hugh's a practitioner. I had to put that because so many people are just thought leaders, you know, and Mm I, but. the the christian story it's a it's supposed to be a hundred percent practitioner yeah (laughs) there's not supposed to be like a unique category for the ones that actually live the thing out and so i just you know in fact even the idea you remember that scripture where it says parents dads don't embitter your children embittering meant that you were you were forcing them into concepts that they didn't see Mm -hmm. any sense to so they would go no you know, if you imagine growing up in the church in the South in 1880, 1920, 1940, and your dad's an elder at a church, and then he's putting on a KKK hood at night, and they're teaching you about Jesus. At some point, you go, wait, something's not lining up. And I think I mean, that's that's an extreme example, but that's that was millions of people grew up in that paradigm or other paradigms of going to church to see the miraculous healings. Maybe you grew up in a Pentecostal deal. But when you really read the story of scripture, almost everything happened on the street. Yeah. Um, very little happened in the temple zone or in the religious zone. So I just feel like if if I could say anything in the righteous route, it's like everybody can do this. This is like um, it's, it's not easy, but it's doable for everybody, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, as you as I read it, um, I really appreciate it. Like the honesty of your guy you telling your own story and the challenges you have been through. Um, through the years. You talked earlier about your son, um, different times when you've gone through hard seasons with each of your children. And I know a lot of people I talk to, they're like, well, I'd like to get onto mission. I like this idea of mission, but I just, I've got this, I've got that. And they just list off all the, the challenges of life. And they go, well, maybe once I get it all together, I can actually do something missional. So what do you say to people like that who are feeling like they got to have the whole family together and the family's, you know, the perfect family that everybody wants to follow uh, before they actually engage in mission?
0: Uh, I'd say I identify with that early on, you know, Ryan would have a grand mal seizure almost every hour and it would go on day after day, year after year. So a lot of times he would wet, wet his pants after a seizure. And so you know, There's a lot of times we'd be about to have people over and just go, ah, screw it. Let's just cancel for the night because we didn't want to invite people into the mess of our lives. And, you know, it was a conversation we had where we're just like, look, this is us. This is what, you know, God could heal him, but he's not. So uh, we might as well invite people into our actual life. So we just started to do that. And we we just just told people, hey, this could happen with our son tonight, but when it happens, no big deal. We'll just move to the couch and we'll, Put a towel around his, his body and under his chin, so don't freak out about it. And you know, a year later, the rest of our lives, we found that the people were more inspired by the story and, and they're the ones after a seizure, taking Ryan upstairs and getting him in the bathtub and cleaning him up and yeah. so we'll sit with him. So I just started to realize it's um if there's any secret sauce to missional living, it's that you allow people to see your suffering. And mm-hmm. that you hear you- yeah carry your suffering well, you carry it as a community and then you lean into other people's suffering. So where I used to hide that, now I go, no, just be yourself, you know, and and that means be yourself with your marriage. You know, there's sometimes on Tuesday night, your marriage isn't in great shape. It was in better shape Monday night, you know, and we just we got used to just telling people, look, hey, just let us know how you're doing. And people would just in the middle of the meeting go, hey, we're not doing good tonight, but we're here and we go. Great. And uh, so I, I think the more that you're just honest with your struggle, what, what's the scripture? We carry this treasure, which was the story of the gospel. We carry this treasure in earthen vessels. And so I just think we got to stop trying to fix stuff before we go on mission. You'll just never get there. Um, so you might as well like literally just go, I don't know how it'll work out. I'm just going to start doing it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. At some point you literally just have to go, we're just going to do it. We'll see what happens. could be a mess, but yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So moving through the book a bit here with our questions. um, I really appreciated the, the counters or the antidotes, whatever you want to call them to the three isms. Um, I thought it was, it's, it's a powerful awareness, right? That we do have consumerism and, I'm not going to list them all off now
0: yeah, yeah,
2: on the spot here. You tell me, Hugh, what are the three?
0: Uh, the biggies are, and we actually brought these up in tangible kingdom. We just said that the kingdom always has enemies. So we're just bringing it back. But, um, consumerism, which is the, you know, the, the subconscious thought that we should be trying to get the most out of anything for our own lives. So most out of the church, it should, the church should be to serve us, um, we shop around, right? So we shop around for the best schools, for our kids or the best church or the best sneakers, whatever it is. So that's consumerism. Um, the gospel is anti all the So the gospel is, is, would say to consumerism, uh, you're not supposed to worry about it for you. You're supposed to like give everything for other people. All so, right. Individual. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, radical generosity, openness, the whole deal, sacrifice, uh, we call it the cruciform way, like Philippians to take yes. on the same attitude of Jesus, who was way up there, but then kept going lower and lower and eventually died. So then Jesus goes, discipleship starts at the death, take up your cross. So it's just has no consumerism in it. So yeah. um, in fact, even like in Alton right now, people will ask, well, why don't you guys have a public worship service? And I say, because I I don't even want consumers to find us. We don't, so our Jesus community is a speakeasy. It's like you're only going to find us through the relationships and the invitations that come. Because we, we really trust Jesus. Like when he said, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisee. Uh, so it literally means be on guard for that religious thing where people pick a church based on whether or not they're, they're right-leaning or left-leaning, uh, that the preacher says exactly what they already believe in. No, it's like, no. Find some place that calls you out of yourself to die to yourself. So that's consumerism. Individualism is just about me, right? I always joke because people here, we've written, I think, 12 books, all really about the evangelistic spirit, like living a life with lost people around you. Um, and I always have to remind people, you know, even though we've done thousands of parties and our house has always been open, I'm an introvert. I don't even like human beings. Like if, if it's just if I can be honest, I'd rather be by myself all the time. Yeah. Okay. So um, individualism basically says, yeah, that's okay, Hugh, but you were crucified with Christ. So it's no longer Hugh that gets to live his own life, but it's Christ that wants to live his life through you, Hugh. So at some point you have to open up your social arrangement to include other people. And that's what, you know, the individualism is going to be challenged. Um, and then materialism is just what it is. It's we want stuff. So we pursue things, we work too many jobs to get too many things instead of having the availability just to be with people, you know. I, w- I always throw mm-hmm. this out. That there's one even secret sauce to our own discipleship. Like like literally nothing that Jesus wants to do in our lives will happen if we don't have this one thing. If we have a lot of it, then we're going to see a lot of Jesus. If we, if we don't have it, we're not going to see it, and that's availability. And so for most mm-hmm. of us, we the world's moving too fast. We don't, we don't have any time. Are you kidding me? Um, No, that's just, the world doesn't have any time, but the Jesus community must have time for people. And so you've got to begin to be a disciple yourself. And so those isms are there not so much uh, to try to plow our kids through. It's really for the parents to go. If I'm going to live a story that my kids will actually want to take part of, I'm probably going to have to deal with these you know, consumerism, materialism, individualism before the story even starts.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: And I appreciate the counters, right? The antidotes, the community, contribution, sharing. Those are the things that we promote um, against those isms. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In we, fact, you? I think, yeah. go ahead, you. Nope, you go. I'll, I was I'll thinking, part of the book you talk about how like with your current community that that community is like watching out for each other taking care of kids together because i think a lot of times when we're doing missional stuff we kind of feel like we have to go it alone that lone ranger mentality and i think it's really important for us to think about how community is a critical part of being able to kind of navigate this yeah
0: that's why like when we're when we're like I didn't write the book as like a self-help parenting book, like little gimmicks to like make your kids better. Um, I really am am writing it with this context. Like there's got to be a context for the story and the, and the Jesus story was never an individual thing. So the power was always in the us, we, and them. So, right. the, The witness of the gospel was the church and the church were little, small little nuggets of humans that were, you know, in this neighborhood or that part of Rome or so, you can see them and how they reacted together. Um, they had their own economy, right? Book of Acts, they shared all their stuff. Um, you know, like in our community, we literally talk about it. None of our stuff is our own. We've, we've got, you know, picture 50 adults and about 40 kids in our community. Uh, we've been here about five years. We're all running businesses and justice works and incarnational homes. Um, but when somebody comes in, we say, look, you, you just, uh, found 15 more mothers and 15 more dads and you've got, you know, 20 more sisters and we've got houses that are full of food. So if you're in our community, um, you're never going to be hungry. You're never going to be homeless again. Um, you're never going to be jobless. And so, you know, you imagine our kids watching this, um, like in our, in our communities, we take in homeless people into our families. So if the McCall family says, "Hey, we just found Joe on the front porch, and we've decided we're going to take him in," then they're going. They're signing all of us up. We all go, "Okay." They took in Joe, okay. so we just all took in Joe. And then and this is happening. So when we have an Easter gathering at our farm, and Joe and Milt are there, and both these guys came off the streets. And all of our kids are sitting around and we're praying over everybody. and We're praying over Joe's recovery and where we're sending him down in St. Louis for six months for a, a program. Our little tiny toddlers are a part of the prayer groups and they're watching the stories. So to me, that's what I mean by living the story. Um, it's not just whether or not they see mom and dad have people over for dinner. It's that we actually, we clean up the neighborhood together. And then our kids are right there with us when something bad happens to a family around the corner all of a sudden, we all go down. There are seven families and we ask if we can do anything and our kids are right there in tow with us um, if we're working on some type of remodel or renovation of an old building in downtown Alton. Then our kids are doing that and we're letting them know we're doing this because Jesus wants us to renovate this old building. When we start businesses, now our kids come into our uh, post commons coffee shop. So all of our kids collectively, there's no youth group and there's no children's church, but. All of these kids are with us in literally every part of our mission, and like we're just watching them grow into this missionary force uh, because mm-hmm. we're doing it all. So,
2: yeah, it reminds me of one of my mentors, Judy Brower, used to tell me and advise me as a mom to live your spirituality out loud. Yeah, and I just really think of that when I hear you talk about your stories of what you're. Um. Community is doing.
0: Yeah, we—I I can't remember which chapter it was, but we said these are the four rhythms. So instead of trying to like figure out what to tell your kids, like discipling them through what you'll tell them, we say try to think about four rhythms of life. We think if you live these four, your kids will pick up the story. And we just said it's an open open house, right? And that's mm-hmm. really where uh, we model this constant flow of people and. Uh, then it moves to open table. Open house is actually kind of unique. It's, it's where you actually renovate your house. You move walls and you make bedrooms. And, um, like in our family, we've almost always had people living with us Our our girls when they were in high school would always say, Hey, can we invite what's her name to live with us for a while? Her mom booted her out or whatever. So our kids just got used to like if, if they can invite friends over, they would, if they don't have a place, um, when Cheryl and I, uh, you know, our youngest daughter does social work here, uh, there was a family of five children whose mom was killed in a car wreck and um, there was nobody else that would take them. So the system was going to separate all five kids. And McKenna called and said, is there any way you guys could take them all in? And we were like, mm-hmm. well, we sure don't want to, but yeah, of course we will. You know, and so then we put out an email and to everybody going, hey, we're taking in six. And it was terrible. It was brutal. <laughs> You know, these are, um, but, you know, that's that's open house is like literally your house is the front door of mission. Open table is more the hospitality, the constant eating and conversation. Most of the Jesus talk is really around the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just learning, you know, even though Cheryl and I were exhausted, Ryan would have most of his seizures at night. We, we always thought, man, we can we can give three, four five meals away a week. And just make sure there's people at the table. It doesn't take that much energy. But most of our momentum happened at the table with people. And the third open thing was what we called open book. And that's where the scriptures are not just like family devotions we do. But we, we brought up Jesus in light of all the activity that we were doing. So if mom and dad had a party Friday night and one of their hockey dads had three too many and got a little bit crazy. Then the next day we go, hey, how do you guys feel about Uncle Joe going off? And then we would talk about cussing and we would talk about alcohol and we would talk about we're in Colorado. So we would talk about weed. So to me, that's what we meant by open book. I would whatever they were dealing with, whatever we were dealing with as a family, then we would go to Scripture and we would apply it to what they had already sort of experienced. I found that to be a better way of bringing up scripture to the kids than just sitting down going, all right, Thursday night, family Bible study. um, Those always ended up in arguments. I don't know why. Whenever dad called the family devotion, everybody hated each other at the end of that. So (laughs) uh, Uh, (laughs) the open thing was just open road, getting our kids out of their context. Mm -hmm.
2: I really appreciated that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that is good. We think, man, if you could live into those four rhythms, I don't think you have to worry about anything else. I think they will pick up the Jesus story along the way. And uh, you'll have a lot of time to talk to them about the Lord. Um, and it will all be in the context of their natural habitat. You know, it won't be mm-hmm. up or at the wrong timing or something like that. Yeah.
2: In the... the- maybe the chapter ladder to what we're talking about with regard to your open, your four rhythms. Um, You talk about what parents are and are not responsible for. And I'm curious just what led you to that clarity in in writing those.
0: Oh, pain and agony. It's every, (laughs) every parent's great revelation. It's the day that you go, wow, we've been the same parents for, all these kids and they've all turned out differently and <laughs> you realize they're all their own unique context that there's, uh, in fact, sometimes you're a terrible parent, but it doesn't hurt that one. And it really hurts that other one. When you did the wrong thing that day at the baseball diamond, right. Mm-hmm. At the coach, but there's other times that you do, um, the right thing and it doesn't really it doesn't seem to show fruit. You do all the right things, and it just goes bad because you can't—you literally can't control uh, chemically, physiologically. Uh, you know, our our daughter Allie went really dark for three years. We had no idea why. From 15 to 18, it, she just struggled, and we tried everything. We uh, we sprayed oil over doorposts. We literally thought, well, she's got to be possessed. That's the only thing left. You know. We flew people out to pray over over them and pray over our house and family. And uh, it was one very wise gentleman that said, No, that's just, she's just struggling. This is hormones, physical. She'll come back. I just remember he kept going, Don't worry. She'll just come back one day. And there was a day that she came in the door Mm -hmm. and Cheryl said, Oh, that's Allie. Like she's, you know, and so I just go, There's a point where you realize you cannot. have your children end up where you want them. Um, at some point, you know, that's why we have a chapter in the book about Abraham and Isaac. At some point you have to have bigger faith for your kids than you have for yourself. It's, it's easy to sort of trust God for you. The hardest thing a parent can mm-hmm. do is, yeah, Jesus, you're going to have to somehow bring my daughter home. And, uh, so mm-hmm. I think there's some things that you, you realize you, you cannot control their future. You cannot control whether or not they're going to love Jesus or not. Um, but you can make it easier for them to love Jesus. Um, you can't help them. You can't protect them. like The, the great, uh, I guess, job description we all really think of is protect and provide, right? And there's a season for that. But they say when a kid gets to the age of independence and sometimes kids mentally get there at 10, sometimes they don't get there till 23. But once a child goes, I'm my own pe- person, then you have to move from being Moses, setting the law down and the rails for them to run on. And you have to take the position in the rocking chair on the porch, just like the prodigal father. And you got to give them the car keys, even if you know they're going to wrap the car around the pole and you have to go, Jesus, I, in fact, I'm not going to protect them from hard things. They need hard things to happen. And I'm mm-hmm. going to try So, So in other words, you give God ownership of the future of your kids. You can only do so much. So I think it takes some yeah. pressure off and adds pressure in the right places. Um, but, yeah, for sure, um, you cannot sort of, uh, and maybe you've learned this, by just getting them to church, it's not going to get it done. Uh, and the church can't even. You know, <laughs> yeah. Done for your kids, right? Um, so I, I think the bigger the bigger issue is: Will you be the type of person that your kids, at any age, feel like they can come to as part of their spiritual formation? And I, yeah. I say part of that because as our kids kids were getting into junior high and high school, um, I outsourced a lot of the parenting. I you know when Allie was going through her tough season. I called two young mid 20 something gals from Denver seminary that were part of our church. I said, it's your job for the next three years. Try to bring these girls through this, all this stuff, the sex stuff, the drug stuff, the darkness stuff. And so I I basically called the community in and Cheryl, we're one of 20 people that are hopefully speaking into the lives of our kids, but
1: we're not the only ones for sure. Mm -hmm. We've got to trust God with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good. Good.
1: Good. You know, um, I think it was towards the end of the book and, but I really, there's a point where you talk about, I think parents can sometimes feel like they, they've hit that phase of life where they're kind of reading something like this and they've, they're like, man, I've already blown it. I don't think I can do this anymore. You know, they maybe think it's too late, but, um, what would you say to somebody who's like, you know, feels like maybe it's too late to change the story for, for their children? Hmm.
0: Uh, that's, to me, it's maybe the best question to ask, right? Because I think we all feel like we've blown it. Um, there was a time where uh, one of our daughters was being pretty disrespectful to Cheryl, and I went up to try to like at least stand in the doorway so that the disrespect would stop. And um, it didn't. And when I left the room, I, uh, I ended up putting my hand through the wall, and it caused my wife to shirk and scream and cause my other daughter that was making us both mad to huddle on the corner of the floor. And remember my wife Mm -hmm. going, you're going to fix that wall. Right. And, uh, and then you better fix it with her too. And I remember the only way I made that one up was to go sit next to her on her bed and go, Hey, um, that was just one time of many that your dad was not very much like Jesus. And I'm very sorry Hope you can forgive me. I'm trying to work on it, on being better. But I've had parents that go, look, I never even showed our kids any mission. We just dropped them off. I went to church. I don't think they were ever that impressed with the way that we did anything. And I just say the best way to make up for lost time is just simply apologize and own it and go, yeah, I've been religious, Mm -hmm. but I haven't really been on mission for Jesus. And I'm sorry that you kids never really saw mom and I really do anything. Uh, related to God's mission. But we're going to kind of start a new journey, just me and mom. And um, we hope that Jesus is going to teach us a lot of things. And maybe it's some stuff that you guys can join us in. But I think when you say sorry, we kind of missed a key part of the story. So you missed it too. I found that kids are very resilient and they immediately forgive and oftentimes want to join back in too. So um, your best way to make up for lost time is just simply be honest and be real.
1: Mm-hmm. You certainly can't yeah, know So <laughs>
2: no, no, certainly no, not. you
1: cannot. Yeah. Uh, I have three daughters who will tell me I cannot. <laughs> so well, no, but
2: what I heard there is vulnerability, honesty, yeah. humility, and those are the very things of Jesus. So yeah, thank, you, exactly. thank you. very yeah, much. Very
1: much. Well, um, typically we'd leave some time for viewer questions. We haven't had any put in the comments. Um, but if later on you're watching this video and you have a question, go ahead and write it into one of the comments and we can maybe check back, email you or, you know, we can try to answer it Whatever, just to kind of keep a conversation going, even after uh, we're done with the live stream for this. Um, but I uh, wanted to thank you, Hugh, for taking the time to talk with us. Um, also, um, how could people get a hold of the book? What would be the um, preferred way? I think it's on
0: Amazon. Uh, they can go to HughHalter.com and uh, order off that site as well. Um, there's, we, we actually are doing more of a missionary line of books called Life is Mission series. So that has Righteous Brood. It also has a book called Happy Hour, which is even shorter. Leon, you could read that one. Uh, One way. One way. So that's that's about how to do the hospitality thing as a family. So maybe you know those books would be a good little primer to grab some friends and just start talking it through together. It's I'll I'll tell you, having a talk about family on mission with other parents is a very lively conversation. So um, Mm -hmm. where where to go? I'd say don't just read it by yourself. Grab some other parents and go. Let's just yeah,
2: good advice.
1: yeah i think i even saw one of the sites had a bulk ordering option too which if you're going to do it from group it'd be great
0: yeah i'm flying out all right a large church is doing their whole congregation they're doing a congregational read and then having me out so i don't know some of you might be in church leadership that could be an option as well so
1: cool excellent sounds good well again thank you for your time uh and um Everybody else, uh, we will be back again in two weeks. James will be back with me. We will be continuing the discipleship series. We're going to have uh, one of our practitioners, Greg Ellis, uh, talking about discipleship in a microchurch setting and some of the things that he's done uh, in his uh, faith community um, here in Minnesota, actually. Not, Not too far from where we are right now. But thank you again. See you, everybody. Alrighty. Thank you for joining us for In the Room with Communitas North America. In the show notes, you will find links to any resources we mentioned during the, our conversation. If you are interested in learning more about connecting and working with Communitas North America and our mission of starting and shaping faith communities that love like Jesus, Click on the link for our website in the show notes to learn more and fill out the contact form. We hope you will be joining us again soon.